Have you ever heard that story from the Old Testament called the Judgment of King Solomon? Here's the quick version. Two women come before this wise ruler to solve a problem. They're both claiming the same baby as their own child. His solution sounds barbaric, even in biblical terms. Cut the baby in half and let them share. Predictably, one of the women says, No, let her have the baby. Just please don't harm him. And the other one says, Go ahead, divide him. If I can't have him, she won't have him either. And the wise king? He says, It's pretty clear to me which of you is the true mother. Nowadays, the world is full of courtrooms where modern-day not-so-wise judges preside over this kind of emotional battle by ruling on where exactly to draw the dotted line and how to perform the incision. We can do so much better than that. You're listening to the Essential Stepmom Podcast, unconventional advice and inspiration on the womanly art of raising someone else's kids. I'm Tracy Poisner, mom of one, stepmom of three. I woke up one day after more than 10 years of step parenting challenges like alienation, loyalty, high conflict, and long distances, and found myself standing in what appeared to be the actual light at the end of the tunnel. This podcast is my way of shining that light back over my shoulder so you and all the others can find your way here too. If you want more of what you hear on this podcast, connect with me at EssentialStepMom.com where you'll find my blog, podcast show notes, and other stepmom-related resources. Hi everybody, I'm Tracy. This is part three of Dealing with Parental Alienation. In the first part, I talked about 10 practical things that you can do to make the situation better from accessing uh, less expensive legal help, asking for a guardian ad litem, um, keeping a diary, sending registered letters, practical things that you can do to improve the communication, to put up good boundaries, to mitigate the situation. And part two, we talked about how to talk to the kids about what's happening, what to say, what not to say, how to validate their feelings, how to keep it being about them and what they're experiencing and not um, not making them take the extra burden of how you're feeling about it onto their shoulders. And today we're going to talk about what you need on this journey to get to the end of it because as I described in part one, the overwhelming majority of these cases end with the child eventually, when they get old enough, reaching out to the parent that they're alienated from because everybody wants to be connected with their parents. So there is that kind of happy ending in the vast majority of the cases. And what we need is something to keep us afloat uh, until then because it's so so incredibly difficult to deal with this so if you are being alienated from your own children by your ex i'm deeply sorry that you're in this situation it's i can't even imagine actually because that didn't happen to me and um it's the worst situation ever i know that uh there are a lot of dads who alienate 
kids from their mom. And we heard yesterday from Kim that that was pretty much her life situation. She had been alienated from her own mother from the age of one. It's kind of hard to imagine in this day and age, a, a court awarding full custody to one parent and allowing them to completely cut the parent, uh, the other parent out of the picture. That doesn't happen very often. But I'm also aware of at least one situation where the children are being bribed with a, a healthy allowance and a large inheritance on condition that they don't have any contact with their mom. So all kinds of things happen. And um, I, I really want to say that you have my sympathies because this is probably the heaviest thing that anybody has to deal with. Um, if the kids in question are not yours, but the ones who belong to your husband, your partner, I think that one of the hardest things in dealing with parental alienation between the dad and the kids are your feelings of being responsible for fixing the situation. If you're like me and you're a fixer by nature, ah, um, you want to just reach out and grab those kids and get them away from the place where they're being so emotionally damaged. You're aware of the damage that's happening and, and you want so badly to make it stop. So incredibly, this is another great use for the practice of disengaging. It's not only something that you do when when your kids are bugging you so much or when your partner is not not being a good parent. This kind of disengaging is is just remembering that these are not your kids and you cannot be responsible for the outcome of this because you're not responsible for the for all the players and what's happening. So remember that this is not your drama and your job is to support your partner and to help help him find all the resources that are going to help him to get through and to manage his own overwhelming feelings about this. It's great that you are sharing what you learn with your partner um, and whatever he can take and use at the stage of the process that he's at, that's fantastic. This whole process can feel a little bit like, like you're, you know, you and your partner are holding on to an overturned boat in the middle of a big body of water, hoping that somebody's going to come and rescue you. It's, it's just um, long and incredibly exhausting. And of course, you never know for sure what the outcome is going to be. And it's a very nervous time. So just like as if you were holding on to an upside down boat in the water, you want to conserve your energy and you want to stay positive and it helps a lot to have a life preserver on. <laughs> okay, I, you know me, I'm all about analogies, but I, that's really what it's like. So conserving energy in this case means things like taking time to do things that you enjoy, things that are going to recharge your batteries. Don't let this situation dampen your whole life so that there's no more um, spark of, of the actual joy of life in you. Um, go out with friends, go for a walk, enjoy sports or hobbies, do things together, do things each on your own. Um, take a vacation, 
you know, it's really important to put boundaries around this big issue so that it doesn't just suck you under like a riptide because it can and then you're no good to anybody, okay? You need to keep coming back to this problem with fresh energy and new perspective and new inspiration. Um, staying positive is not easy when everything feels so dark and hopeless around you. And I have certainly had many times in my 12 years as a stepmom, much of it involving heavy parental alienation, where things just, you know, feel dark and hopeless. They really do. So you have to make staying positive a priority and you have to work hard at it. And the very first thing that I suggest that's the most easy and that gives back at the highest level is working with a gratitude journal. Um, this helps to keep you focused on what's positive in your life. And let me tell you, if your stepchild is alive, that's a good thing. And if they're with you, even some of the time, no matter what kind of mood they're in and no matter what they're being told, if they get to be in contact with you, with their dad, that's a good thing. It's something to be grateful for and to be feel positive about. Your positive energy is infectious and kids resonate with your energy um, and they notice whatever you're modeling for them, whether you know it or not. So keeping this positive energy and the high vibe is something that is a real gift to them and it's a real help for them as well as for yourself. Um, another piece of, of staying positive is learning to meditate. I'm so big on that. I have been a meditator for 18 years and I would say it totally changed my life and I would never want to be out without that tool. There's also um, a website and a group called Mindful Stepmoms with Ana de Acosta and she has also a, a CD of guided meditations just for stepmoms, again just for beginners. Personally, I find listening to Esther Hicks, the inspirational speaker, really inspiring. Um, she talks about maintaining a high vibration by redirecting your attention to things that make you feel good. So just by being mindful of what kind of thoughts you're having, you're already on the way to being more positive. She says if you focus on things that make you happy, instead of things that you're trying to get away from, you're much more likely to receive inspiration about how to change those things that are making you miserable. So um, she's one of my favorite speakers and you can find a ton of her stuff on YouTube. Now in terms of having a life preserver, getting a listening partner is a really great idea. A listening partner is someone who agrees to share listening time with you and to just be a sounding board to let you get stuff off your chest. They listen without judgment, without interruption, and without giving any advice. Um, and of course you can do the same for them. And you need to make this a regular thing. You know, you have to put it in your schedule and at least do it every week, every other week if you can't 
managed to get together more than that. But make it a regular thing. Everybody needs to get their feelings out and it's absolutely healthy to do that. You don't want to be always burdening your partner with your feelings about this because he's already dealing with a lot. And when you talk to your friends or your family, people like that tend to try to give us advice about how to manage or they tell us what they think about the situation. And that's not really what you want. You just want somebody to listen. It's so therapeutic to just have someone listen to how you feel, to let you cry or yell if you need to, and then you do the same for them. So your listening partner is like a life preserver. They buoy you up. They, they help to hold you up, to unburden you of some of the heaviness um, that's in your heart from this situation. It's a great, great help to have someone who will listen to you without, you know, without chiming in about what they think you should do. And you can repay the favor by doing the same for them. So finally, I would like you to remember that all of this work, all of this hard work that you can feel a little bit resentful about having to do because it seemingly sucks up so much of your life, but all of this hard work and this situation is your gateway to some amazing personal growth. If you weren't involved in this awful situation, you could stay where you are because it's comfortable there. And I want you to allow the pain that you're experiencing to have some meaning, to, to lead to something bigger and better. Um, let this be the silver lining of the dark cloud of alienation, if you'll pardon my analogy one more time. You're going to be a much stronger, smarter, more mature, more evolved version of yourself at the end of this. And you'll be grateful to have come through this challenge because of that. You would never bother to do all this hard work if it weren't so important. Before I talk about what my husband did to help himself get through, I want to just share a few words from our sponsor, Stepmom Success Lab. Stepmom Success Lab is a program I run which is going to launch again for the fourth time on September the 1st. It's kind of like training wheels for the stepmom, with me running along right beside you, shouting helpful things like, watch where you're going, and don't stop, keep pedaling. Seriously though, it's way more fun than doing a white knuckle solo climb up the stepmom learning curve. You'll have lots of me to listen to, or even watch on video if you like. And I made a guided workbook to go along with it because if you're like me, you need to write stuff down to really digest the ideas. Then just show up to one or more of the live video help sessions and I'll be there in person to answer your questions, shout those encouraging phrases, and to help you over the bumps in the road as you try out some new moves on your actual family. If you're enjoying this podcast, then I'm inviting you to join a select group of other stepmoms just like you they're like you because they also resonate with my unconventional advice. 
you're someone who wants to think for yourself and not try to squeeze into someone else's idea of how a step family is supposed to work. You just need a quick and relatively painless way to fill in the gaps in your knowledge of step parenting and step family dynamics. Because Lord knows, no matter who you are, nobody comes prepared to this gig. When I said this wasn't my story, what I meant was that I wasn't the one being shut out, ignored, insulted, and belittled. Well, I was definitely being insulted and belittled, but I didn't know it at the time. So it didn't cause me any stress, and that's the topic I'm addressing here. It was all on my husband. This was his drama. I was just a bystander. And I want to repeat that it's not my intention to make anyone out as a villain here. There's only pain on both sides. And this is often how it looks when people in pain have to share their kids with someone they feel is the cause of their pain. We lived a three-hour drive away from his kids, a drive he made once a week, every week for 10 years. He also phoned them every single day. And every day it went the same way. The phone would ring and ring, and then it would go to the answering machine. And then he'd call again. And again, it would ring and ring and ring and go to the answering machine. Then he would call a third time and one of the kids would eventually pick up and he'd get to talk to them. That happened every day for years. That was my evening routine, watching my husband endure this torment just in order to be able to talk to his kids. And then there's the part where after a three hour drive, he'd arrive at their door and ring the bell. And what do you think would happen? nothing. He'd knock and ring again. Nothing. One time he had to phone and say, if you guys aren't outside in 60 seconds, I'm going home. And then that didn't happen again. Sometimes he would sleep in his car overnight because he couldn't afford a hotel on top of gas and food and meals every single weekend. We're talking Canada in the winter. This was one dedicated dad. And as he drove around town with his kids, looking for things to do and places to stay warm, from shopping mall to movie theater to bowling alley. If he had to set limits with them or enforce normal rules of behavior, there was a babysitter waiting at home all day so they could say, take me home right now, anytime they wanted. And who was paying for that perfect recipe for boundary-pushing behavior? He was through the monthly support payments the kids would remind him to fork over. Aside, I really hope I don't sound bitter about this because I'm not. We can actually laugh about all that stuff now, even if it's embarrassing for his kids to have participated in that circus. I hope if they ever listen to this, they know that their dad doesn't hold any of it against them, not even a little. They were supporting their mom, who was just totally stuck in a wrong paradigm. And that was never their fault. I'm retelling all this personal stuff because as the partner of this dad being so consistently alienated, it was intensely difficult for me to watch. I found some ways to help. I searched online and I found a great place to stay for cheap. I went along to help with the driving sometimes and I actually hid out so the kids wouldn't know I was there, bouncing from one coffee shop to another until the coast was clear. Once or twice, I pretended to be out of town and left my own house so the kids could come here to visit during the times they said they didn't want to come because of me. 
This is definitely not the conventional wisdom for how to deal with parental alienation. This was my solution, and it led us in the exact direction that I expected it to. I chose not to dig in my heels and say, I live here too, and they're just going to have to get used to it, like I hear so often on the online stepmom groups. I did those things because I work in the field of holistic medicine, and I respect nature. I knew that the solution would come by itself if they just kept spending time with their dad, who they actually love very much, no matter what they were telling him. Of course, they really did want to see him, but they were scared of their mom and scared to hurt her feelings. They were scared of her reactions, and they also really love her, and that's a good thing. What they were mostly scared of was that her love was conditional. Because if your mom decides not to love you anymore, you might as well be dead. No child can live without the love of their mom, at least not live in a healthy, happy way. So it's like they were part hostages and part caregivers because they felt responsible for her happiness. And that's what's known as codependency. A codependent relationship is one where you willingly sacrifice something necessary to yourself for the other person. Even adults in that kind of relationship have a super hard time getting away because the whole situation is like a burning house. And when you finally work up the courage to jump out a window and save yourself, you're still leaving someone you love behind. I'll tell you how I felt in the years my stepkids were trapped in that kind of love for their mom. I felt like my husband and I were holding the corners of a big sheet waiting outside the window for them to jump. It was a very long wait. I give him so much credit for his patience and his fortitude. Did he ever want to just give up? You bet. He knew that his kids were suffering from having parents who not only don't get along with each other, but have the most opposite values and concepts of the right way to raise kids. He often said he felt like they would be better off if he just went away and let them stay with their mom in peace. Sometimes when it got to be too much, he would take a break for a few weeks, even saying, this is it, I'm done. But in time, he'd come around and be ready to hang on to the sheet again. And guess what? They all jumped. I'm skipping to the end because I think you also need a break about now. There's a happy ending. Phew. Now back to my story. How did my husband find the strength to stay in the game? despite being told by a nine-year-old that he should grow up and start acting like a real father? Yes, that really happened, by the way. Well, I think he would say that becoming a serious student of meditation probably saved his sanity. He went to the same 10-day Vipassana meditation course that I did after he saw what it did for me. Maybe you heard me tell this story on another podcast, but that was how I got the good sense to fall in love with him after having lived with him for five years. So he had a pretty good feeling about it going in, but he was still scared as heck, and it took him over a year to work up the courage to actually go. My husband is the kind of guy who does everything 110%, like go big or go home. So when he went to the course and they said, go ahead and change your posture if you need to, he would sit without moving a muscle. And when they said, these meditation sessions are optional, he would attend them all. 
he still meditates for an hour every single day, sometimes twice a day. Even I'm not that good. But he knows it's what keeps him from just drinking or some other less healthy coping strategy. And me? I meditate too, but I work a lot with gratitude. It's something that comes natural to me. My mom is forever saying, aren't we lucky? I grew up hearing that all the time. And it's really how I feel a lot of the time. But even still, I push myself to write it down. Five things every day. Because the vibration that creates is what brings good things. It's what brings the happy endings. And it keeps you feeling good about the world in the meantime. It even helps you see that everything actually is good. Even when it really seems crappy at the time. Because it's just laying the groundwork. For the good that's coming later on. If you're skeptical about the power of gratitude, I encourage you to try keeping a gratitude journal for two weeks. You're welcome to use my template and you can find a link for that in the show notes or just use any empty notebook or diary you have around the house. The more you can stay in the actual positive feeling that gratitude generates, the more good it will do. Here's one more thing. You want to have so much positive energy that you have enough to share it with someone who is acting out of anger and fear of loss. Someone who's stuck in the paradigm of cutting a child in half to make someone else suffer. Nothing will change for you until that person feels better, until he or she identifies with the mother who says, nothing matters except that my child feels whole. So helping them is not just an act of kindness, it's your ticket to happy ending land. When you start feeling like you have enough to share, send some good vibes in the direction of an alienating parent you know. That's not just taking the high road, that's owning it. Speaking of building your inner resourcefulness, let me pause this wonderful interview for a brief word from our sponsor, Stepmom Success Lab. Stepmom Success Lab is a program I run for stepmoms who want to fast track the learning curve and get the answers they need now, instead of just waiting for a random podcast episode to shed light on the mysteries of whatever's going on in your home these days. Stepmom Success Lab is for you if you're someone who wants to think for yourself, someone who doesn't want to squeeze into someone else's idea of how a step family is supposed to work. You just need a quick and relatively painless way to fill in the gaps of your knowledge of step parenting and step family dynamics. Because Lord knows, no matter who you are, nobody comes prepared to this gig. You'll have lots of me to listen to, or even watch on video if you like. And I made a guided workbook to go along with it because if you're like me, you need to write stuff down to really digest the ideas. Then just show up to one or more of the live video help sessions and I'll be there in person to answer your questions and to help you over the bumps in the road as you try out some new moves on your actual family. Stepmom Success Lab is starting on September 1st and I'm hoping you'll join us. There's even a special early bird price for those of you who jump on this before August 25th. So check it out at EssentialStepmom.com. That's EssentialStepmom.com. 
Now, back to the wonderful Dr. Stacy Thomas. Speaking of building your inner resourcefulness, let me pause this wonderful interview for a brief word from our sponsor, Stepmom Success Lab. Stepmom Success Lab is a program I run for stepmoms who want to fast track the learning curve and get the answers they need now, instead of just waiting for a random podcast episode to shed light on the mysteries of whatever's going on in your home these days. Stepmom Success Lab is for you if you're someone who wants to think for yourself, someone who doesn't want to squeeze into someone else's idea of how a step family is supposed to work. You just need a quick and relatively painless way to fill in the gaps in your knowledge of step parenting and step family dynamics, because Lord knows, no matter who you are, nobody comes prepared to this gig. You'll have lots of me to listen to, or even watch on video if you like, and I made a guided workbook to go along with it, because if you're like me, you need to write stuff down to really digest the ideas. Then. Just show up to one or more of the live video help sessions and I'll be there in person to answer your questions and to help you over the bumps in the road as you try out some new moves on your family. Stepmom Success Lab is starting on September 1st and I'm hoping you'll join us. There's even a special early bird price for those of you who jump on this before August 25th. So check it out at EssentialStepmom.com. That's EssentialStepmom.com. Now, back to the wonderful Dr. Stacy Thomas. Mm-hmm. 